chapter 5. Elder Brian will be delivering the message today. I'm thankful for having him speak for several reasons. One is when he's speaking, I have that time off. And that's a good thing to refresh. But I also enjoy hearing him speak and have been ministered by the word that he preaches. So I hope that you receive a blessing too as you listen to God's word today. It was with sadness and a shock to hear of Bonnie's passing. And as Christians look at the passing on the death of other believers, we have both a loss and a sorrow and a hope and a joy. And so we thank God for the relationship that she had and that time of knowing her. Tried to add up the times. I think it's over 25 years or so that I've known Bill and Bonnie. And it's, it was a blessing to see her zeal and love for the Lord, her love for her, her deep love for her family, and her deep love for the people of God, her church, and specifically this church. So we will miss her dearly. Truth Seekers is one of the tributes that she leaves behind. We will miss her deeply and we pray for the family. We are the family. We pray for and with the family as they go through this time of grieving and this time of a memorial for her. And so we look forward to um, just ministering together ministering together with them, for them, and being ministered as well. Let's take a look at God's word today. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that entire chapter. If you don't have a Bible of your own, raise your hand or ushers or bring a Bible that you can use throughout our service this morning. I see one hand. Any other hands that would like to have a Bible, just raise your hand. Okay, let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. God's word says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage, We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 
for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But we are, <clears throat> but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard, to, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. The wish the choir will come with special music, and then our speaker of the morning, Elder Brian C. Kenner. Father, we thank you for this time today. We look forward to communion today, and so we thank you. We pray that you prepare our hearts, that we would prepare our hearts by confessing sin and getting right with you and wanting to be right with each other. We pray today, Lord, for the Dick family and Bonnie's, uh, all of her family that mourns her death and yet knows that she has that hope of having trusted in you as she is with you. We pray for Bill that you will continue to comfort him, that you give him a measure of peace and rest, and that you'd keep him faithful to you, serving you as he has been faithful, as a faithful husband. We thank you for that. That he has ministered to his wife in these needy times when she couldn't do for herself, he was there with her and for her. We thank you for that testimony. I pray that I would be that kind of, of, of a husband if that is my lot to, to care and to be faithful. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, bless Andy, Chantel, this family here. It's a blessing because we know all of their family. We see them quite often. We see and know their testimony of faith for most of them, and we thank you for that. We thank you that Bonnie had such a heart for 
her family, her husband, her children, her extended family, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we're part of that as a church, and um, we thank you that her suffering is over. It's completely over. No longer will she have to uh, be carried around in a wheelchair. No longer will she struggle to make service and come in and out of the, the car. No longer will she have all those things that limited her. But now she would be free. And I thank you for that. I pray that her testimony will impact all of us who knew her. And so, Lord, we thank you for her. We pray for this congregation, Lord. We think of Joyce, who had surgery this week, is home resting and recovering now. We thank you for her faithful husband, for Cliff, and thank you for his testimony and his walk. We ask that you would bless and heal her, give doctors, um, give them wisdom for how to care for her. It seems to be puzzling as to what exactly needs to be done. So we know that you made her body and you completely control and you can heal. And so we pray for that for her sake, Lord. And then, Lord, we pray for Brenda as she um, gets advice and from tests and different procedures to see exactly what's the best, uh, uh, what's the best uh, thing to do medically for her. We pray that you give wisdom. We pray that you give strength and boldness and, and uh, confidence, Lord, that she is in your hands. Yeah and that you, um, you will not allow anything that's out of your purpose or out of your will, and that you'll be with her every step of the way. I thank you for her husband and his uh, love and care for her as he's shown that. Uh, we thank you for that. And we thank you for Matthew, her son, who's been faithful here in serving you. And we, uh, we just pray for him and his strength as well, as well as for all of her children. Now we pray that your will be done in her life and with her body and that you would heal and bless. We thank you for that, Lord. Um, Lord, we know others have ailments and different issues that are ongoing. We don't ignore or disregard them. We pray for each one and you know the condition of all of our tents and you know that it's just a temporary place. As we think of that, we pray for your blessing for the word of God from the man of God today. We pray, Lord, that you would give him that peace to need, that he needs to deliver your word, that conviction from your Holy Spirit not to hold back of what you have to say. And that, that um, we thank you, Lord, for, um, for his life that falls in line with your truth. And we thank you for his testimony there. We pray that you would encourage his heart as he brings comfort and encouragement through your word today. Bless your people. And Lord, we want to thank you for this nation. We are coming up and on our anniversary of you have started this nation. And uh, we thank you for living in this nation. None of us made that choice to be born here, but you had us to be born in such a place as this at such a time. And we pray, we thank you for the past history, and we thank you for the blessings that you've given this nation, and we pray for the, tr the path that we're on. It's not a good path, and we pray, Lord, that you would allow us as believers to speak through our word and the testimony, to be strong testimonies 
that we might be light and salt here on earth and in this nation and in this city. And you'll do whatever you want to with that witness, but let us be faithful and let us not hold back. Let us live out your truth. I pray for this congregation, Lord. Some are waiting to, to join and be members. Some are sitting on the sidelines. Some are members and just kind of just going through. But well, we pray that you light a fire under each and every individual that our time is short. The days are evil. And we don't know how long we will be here, let alone how long you will continue to withhold your judgment from this world. So help us be faithful like Noah was in his day, faithful like his family was, faithfully serving you and being a testimony to all that we can reach. So we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Please be seated. Amen. Our God is awesome. Amen. Praise God for putting a word in my mouth. It was a different word than I thought I was going to give. I was preparing to preach a sermon aimed at Pride Month. I had 2 Corinthians 6. I was about a third of the way through. And then, you know, I thought about Sister Bonnie dying and I changed it up. So we'll see how this goes. We'll be preaching on 2 Corinthians 5 instead of 2 Corinthians 6. I thought about Sister Bonnie. You know, I've known her, like my dad said, I've known her over 25 years. Um, she was a substitute teacher in our school, and then she was... You know, I just knew her as the mother of Andy and Michael, who were on my wrestling team. And then uh, she got me one of my first jobs. Me and her got in trouble on that job because we were saying our values boldly. I guess that's when you what you can't do. So they uh, they changed operations around and made it so that my job didn't exist anymore. And she got moved somewhere else. But she was a testimony to me on that job. And so I thank God for her. And so that's why we're doing this. And, and I looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the introduction to this section, let's start in chapter 4. And let's just read verse 16 through 18. It says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, we don't lose heart. The things that you see, you can lose. They could be here in one moment, gone the next. You think about even in Sister Bonnie's case, the body, that's not really her. It's gone. She's gone. But her spirit, who she is, is eternal. I was looking back at old pictures of Sister Bonnie 
who was a very beautiful woman when she was younger. And I'm thinking about other people that are like that. And you know, our bodies, they go through changes. Because our bodies are transient. And when you look at this text here, and it talks about focusing on the unseen, not the seen, it really is a text that fights against this world. Mm -hmm. And that's the theme of this whole book. The theme of the book is to focus on the unseen, not the seen. Stop focusing on mere appearances. Focus on the reality of things. This is the second book to the Corinthians, which means the first book just wasn't good enough. It was some stubborn, hard-headed people in that church who just didn't want to listen, so he had to write a second book. And so he wrote this second book, and there was people all in that church that was all focused on all the wrong things. But he's telling them, focus on the unseen, not the seen. He starts in chapter 1 talking about the comfort versus the affliction. Focus on what God is comforting us. You can see my affliction, but can you see the Holy Spirit comforting me? You see that I changed my mind and I didn't come to visit, but do you see that I did it out of mercy? Chapter 3, you can see the fading glory on Moses' face, but can you see the invisible ministry of the Holy Spirit? You cannot. Many people crave a ministry that they can be seen, even if it's fading but they stay away from the invisible ministry of the Holy Spirit that is powerful, but it doesn't always impress everybody. He says in chapter 4, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay are not impressive. It's the treasure inside that's impressive, but the problem is it's in these jars so you can't see it. I'm a jar of clay bringing you the word today. I am not impressive. I don't have a doctorate. I don't have impressive degrees. I don't have certifications on the wall. But the Holy Spirit has called me to deliver the word to you today. If you want to focus on a jar of clay, you will not be impressed. But I hope to bring the word that the Lord wants you to hear. So we get in chapter 5, and he says this, for we know that if in this tent is is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with, the, with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we will be unclothed, but that we will be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You know, I entitled this section here, This Tent Won't Last Forever. You know, the first part of this section, verse 1 through 5, he mentions groaning twice. And he says, in this tent we groan. And so he uses the aches and pains of the body and the insufficiencies of the body. Or when you look in the mirror and you say, man, this just ain't right. It shouldn't be this way. He says, when you look at that and you see those things, 
it talks about the inner yearning of every human being for a heavenly home, a remade body, a perfect body. And he gives this illustration of a tent versus a house. Tents don't last forever, but houses are meant to be permanent. And I was thinking about this as an illustration, the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, they had two places of worship. They had the tabernacle, they had the temple. The tabernacle was a tent that they carried around and where they worshiped God. It was housed in a place called Shiloh. And then they had a temple in Jerusalem. Temple built by Solomon. And the temple got destroyed. And the place where the tabernacle was also got destroyed. Both because they didn't obey the Lord. And every once in a while, you hear people have this yearning to rebuild the temple. And in this text, I ask the question, how come nobody asks about rebuilding the tabernacle? Nobody will ever ask that. You know why? Because the tabernacle is not important. It was superseded by the temple. It's no longer needed. You don't focus on the tent. You focus on the home. But you know, we got people who spend billions of dollars on their tent. I looked on Amazon. A hardcover Bible is $11.69 on Amazon. We got people who put more cushion in the back of their tent. We got people getting surgery to get fake parts put on their tent. People dying on the top of their tent, different colors. Putting fake coverings on their tent so they look like their tent got hair when they don't got hair. People are focusing on the tent. But tents are not meant to last forever. Tents are meant to wear out. He says, when we yearn for this, we yearn for a heavenly home unless we're going to be found naked. Now, <laughs> I was going to say that we would, this is a shame to be found naked, but we're in 2023. It used to be back in the day it was a shame to be naked. But, you know, we got yoga pants and OnlyFans and pictures on Facebook. And, and let us know people don't find it as much a shame as they used to find it. But it used to be back in the day it was a shame to be found naked. Back in a sensible world, okay? And what so happens is he's saying it's this example of, you know, you change and then you put on some clothes and you, oh, is there's nothing there. That used to be a nightmare for most people. Right? That's a nightmare for me. I'm up here preaching and all of a sudden I look down, nothing. Right? That's supposed to be a nightmare. Now for some people that's a money day. But that's a nightmare. And what it's supposed to say is, it's unless you will be found ashamed. In other words, you go to heaven and you should have on these heavenly robes. And then you go to God and you say, where is my heavenly robe? And he says, I don't see your name on the list to get clothed. And you say, well, well, don't I got tickets to get in? And he say, uh, uh, sir, why don't you come this way? Let's read the books. And you will be put to shame. You will be naked before him. You wouldn't have anything to cover you. 
But he says, we seek, we yearn not to be naked, but to be further clothed, that we would have immortality, that we would have perfect bodies. And he who prepared us for this is God. He's preparing us for eternity through the hard things that we go through in this life. There's a brother, a brother, a pastor who's, who's writing a book, and it's, and it's something to the effect of the things, the blessings of God that you can only experience on this side of eternity. This idea that we go through hard things in this life, and, and you may think of it as a burden, but the truth of the matter is, when we get to eternity, we're going to say, man, God, you, you, you forged me through that. You can only go through the death of a loved one on this side of eternity. You can only go through sickness on this side of eternity and be faithful. You can only be tempted and be faithful on this side of eternity, not on that side. He's preparing us for eternity through the hard things that we suffer. It's a form of training. And then in the next section about this tent, he says, we are always of good courage. He says it twice. We are of good courage. Why are we of good courage? Well, we are of good courage as Christians because we understand that if we die, we're going to a better place. Now, I know a lot of people say that. He was in a better place. Well, they just say that sometimes. Right? They're just saying something nice. And I understand it. It's like saying somebody got a cute child. You know that it's not cute. But you just say that. It's not for you to tell the truth at that moment. But it's important for us to understand that if we're away from the body, we're present with the Lord. If you believe. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. None of us have seen the other side of eternity. None of us have seen heaven. But we understand it through faith in the Word. See, by faith, we walk understanding eternity through the Word having never seen it, but by sight we would fear it because we would be walking into the unknown. I remember once I was driving, and as I was driving, all of a sudden the rain just came down so heavy that for a second I couldn't see. I was scared because at that moment I could have drove into anything and I would have never saw what hit me or I would have never saw what I hit. That's scary to walk into the unknown. That's why most people are scared to death. But if you walk by faith, you might be a little bit afraid. But you will understand what you're walking into. See, we would rather be away from the body. That's the source of our courage is we would rather be with our Lord. And unlike everybody else who's holding on to this life, and that makes them cowardly because they won't do anything that has any risk to it, we say, Lord, if you call me to die today, I'd die today. That's why I never liked the idea of Christians turn, closing down churches during COVID. As if death should stop us from doing what we should be doing. Did it stop Jesus? Did it stop the apostles? Did it stop the prophets? No. Because death is not the main focus. Life is not the main focus of a Christian. You see, we understand this. Whether we are at home, in this body, or away, we got to please him. Because we must all stand before the judgment seat of God. We all got to face our God. We all have to answer for the things that we do. 
And so we can summarize these first 10 verses like this. This tent won't last forever, but God has prepared a home for those who please him. And so that leads immediately to the next section. You find in these sections, they kind of fall like dominoes where they knock into each other. And he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. If you know that you're going to face your God one day, you better act like it. And so the section of this next title is, section is, we persuade others to live for Christ alone because selfish living is not living at all. We're motivated by fear because we know we must face him and we know you must face him. I've made peace with my God, but have you? I was bothered as I went out to witness yesterday. I saw a man just drinking beer and he was sitting on a bench and then he walked, got up, walked and ran to the other side of the street and sat down there and drank beer. And I went to him, you know, frustrated by his appearance and I said to him, do you have a purpose? And he didn't like my question because he didn't have a purpose. And as I looked at the man, the Lord was just telling me, he said, listen, Brian, you will never be able to talk sense to this man, but you can ask him questions. I still want you to ask him questions. I asked him what he was doing, if he had a job, if he had this, if he had that. He kept on lying. Everything he said was a lie. First thing he said was, I got a house. He didn't have no house. Then he said he had a boarding house. I, barely, I doubt he has that. Then we asked him why he didn't want to go to the Rocky Rescue Mission, and he talked something about the services he would have to attend because he was a rebel. He didn't say that, but that's the truth. <laughs> then I said, what do you do with a job? He said, miscellaneous. <laughs> I said, what? In my head, I substituted nothing for miscellaneous, right? He don't do nothing. He said, well, I do a little bit of everything. That means you do a whole lot of nothing. And I looked at the man, and I was extremely sad because here's the thing. This man was just sitting there waiting for death to come for him. He was just doing things to make the time pass by faster, not realizing that when time has passed, he will face eternity, and he will go to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not talking about the nursery. I'm talking about hell. It's important for us to note that we're going to face eternity. We're going to face our God. So knowing that, we should go out there and witness. And so we persuade others. We attempt to convince them, one, that we come with sincerity, and that we have a message of sincerity for a real serious problem that they face. And I know when we get into verse 11 and verse 12, you guys are like, man, that's kind of an odd set of verses. And it is. Because he says in there, and let, let's just read it, because I know you, you see what I saw. This probably is the hardest part to interpret of the passage. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of God, we persuade others. Here's the weird part. But what we are is known to God, and I hope that it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. But the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now I know you get tripped up a little bit at the end of verse 11, but what he's saying is this. I have a ministry 
and a desire to persuade others. Motivated by the fear that they got to face judgment. Now, let's just talk about two people I don't have to convince. I don't have to convince God. He knows what's inside. He knows me. And I shouldn't have to convince you. He's saying to the Corinthians, I shouldn't have to convince you. Because you know my testimony. You know I came amongst you and lived amongst you. You know I preached the word to you. You know how I am. So I shouldn't have to persuade you that we have to face our God. I shouldn't have to persuade you of my sincerity. And then he stops back and he says, I'm not bragging when I say that. Am I commending myself again to you? I'm not doing that. No, I'm arming you with a weapon. And what's that weapon against? The weapon is against appearance-only believers. People who focus more on how things look instead of real heart change. You know those people that come into church and they talking all that holy talk and it don't mean nothing, but they didn't say 50 words and didn't say one word that they made sense? That's what he's talking about. People like that. People who love to come to church because they bought a new suit. Lives is raggedy. Clothes look nice. People who have a service and they go out there and they witness to people and they got decision cards. And they don't care about whether the people actually went to church or whether their lives actually changed. But if they sign that decision card, they happy. We got 10 people saved today. Did you really? We got a lot of people in this world. I went and met with a pastor the other day. Talked with him. Couldn't get a word of direct sincerity out of him. This is a pastor. Because a lot of people think it is either professional or it is clever or sophisticated to not speak a direct word of truth all day. A lot of people think it's all about appearances. It's all about being smooth. It's all about being whatever it is. I will project the image of good to you. That's what they do. And so they get up there and they put on their suit and they project this goodness to you. And they want you to project something to them. And they want to go home and be happy. And if you ever tell them about any real problems they got, I'm sure they'll write a professional letter for somebody else to help you. Because professionally, it's not their problem. Oh, they've spent 20 hours working on their sermon. It don't matter if it don't change nobody because it looks good. And the people in the church come to church and they cussing at their kids at home, but when they come to church, they love everybody. Mm -hmm. Some of these people be happy when they come to church and somebody say something bold because they would never say that in their real lives. Mm-hmm. You're talking about that kind of Christianity. Appearance only. It's garbage. That's why we got so many people out there talking about you don't really have to go to church. That's the, let me tell you. Nothing get me more fired up than hearing people talking like that. Because it's nonsense. It's from the pit of hell. 
We got all kind of people thinking you could act a certain way. And, 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 it, and, it, and what it does is it seeps into everything. And people come in and they say things to me. They're like, what? And they, they think their projection of good is what I want. We got people who come and they say, well, you know, I, I, I'm trying to do right. What are you doing? What you reading in the Bible? You're not reading the Bible? And they mad at you because they're saying to themselves, listen, brother, we had a deal here. You asked me a question that was supposed to just be, you know, how are you doing? And I was just supposed to say, okay. And both of us were lying because you lying that you cared and I'm lying that I'm okay. And we supposed to agree to that and walk our separate ways. But when you ask the follow-up question, now you're really getting to my heart, and I really don't appreciate that. And now you're asking me to do something for real, and I really don't like that. Some people will come to me after a sermon, brother, you said this, and that kind of bothered me. Oh, did it now? Why did it bother you? Well, I was hoping that you would apologize instead of trying to dig and see why I'm bothered. What, what, what bothers you? Well, well, you said this and this and this. Isn't that what the scripture said? Yeah, but the way you said it. Why don't we focus on the reality here and not on the appearances? I was dressed up. We got so many people who are worried about what the outside of the present looks like instead of the gift that's inside. If you're worried about the packaging, you are an appearance-only saint. And so you will focus on appearance-only things. You want somebody who talks nicely to you, in elevated tones. You like lots of loud music in the church. You want to go home and do your own thing. But we focus on the heart here. And the outward only people shouldn't just be people that we looked in down on. They should be people that we war against. That's why Paul gave him a weapon and said, take my testimony and take it to these people. Don't just take it to them as an offering. Take it to them as a punch in the gut. Wake up. Be for real. Be changed. Be transformed. Stop pretending. And so he says, listen, I'm not worried about those who boast an outward appearance, for if we beside ourselves, it is for God. You think I'm crazy? I did it for the Lord. You think I'm a genius? I did it for you. Don't matter. But you know what does matter? The love of Christ controls me. I'm motivated by the fear of Christ, but I'm controlled by the love of Christ. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And I know the way he phrased it, it could be odd, but here's what he means is this. Since Jesus died for us, we should live for him. We can no longer live these selfish lives focused on our own desires, satisfying ourselves. We now have to live for him. And that's not something you can do with appearance only. That's something you got to do deep inside. 
That's why when people give me excuses, I'm not too much trying to hear them. Because anything that doesn't point to yourself as the cause for your own problems is appearance only. It makes you feel good, but it doesn't cause right repentance, right action. I just want to use this combination of scriptures before you. It says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. We know that our old self is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. For thus says the Lord of the, Lord of the house of Israel, seek me and live. The righteous shall live by faith. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We ought to die to our selfish agendas and live for Christ. So then he jumps on that, verse 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He first starts off this session talking this, this point. Stop judging my flesh alone. Do you see Christ by man's standard or by God's standard? You see, if you see him by man's standard, he was a failure. He tried to start a movement. He got killed at the beginning of it. He died off. But if you see it in God's view, he meant to die. His death served a purpose. And he rose again. And when he rose again, it wasn't for appearances only. Because if it was for appearances, he would have went right back in Jerusalem, had another parade. But he didn't do it for everybody. He did it for the believers. Many times through his ministry, Jesus had lots of followers and he made them leave. Because they were phony. They were appearance only. Even John the Baptist, when he came and he was baptized, he said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I'm not about appearance only people. I don't want you if you're here. For fake reasons. I only want true repentance. So don't judge by the flesh alone. See, in Christ, we are a new creation. Now, you can't see that new creation unless you use your spiritual eyes. In many ways, we could say this book, this whole book of 2 Corinthians, is about discernment. 
what do you see and what do you focus on? If you use your eyes and flesh, you won't be impressed. But if you use the eyes that God gives you, you might see something that's hidden from the world. Christ is making us a new creation. Now, you got to imagine that can sometimes be a painful process. You know, I was just playing a video game the other day. And in this game, a character got recreated as they already were alive to become something better. And it was extremely painful because the muscles had to be ripped off and then put back on. Better muscles put on. Better heart put in. Better lungs inserted. You got to imagine that if you are being recreated, that could be painful. But after the process is done, you're thankful because you are now superior to what you used to be. You are a new creation. You no longer want the things you used to want. You no longer see the things you used to see. You do things, and it used to be wrong, and back in the day, you was okay with that. But now you try to do it, and even thinking about doing it, God is like, no, don't do it. You used to tell people, yeah, you know, I'll pray for you, and you didn't really pray for them. But now if you say, I pray for you, the Holy Spirit will say, you better. You've been recreated. And here's the thing that's interesting about a Christian is you keep being recreated. It's a painful process because you constantly are purging the old you and being remade. And people will sometimes look at the discarded parts of you and try to shame you. And you should agree with them. Yeah, it was shameful what I used to do. That old part of me, yeah, it did deserve to be gone. That's why God has recreated me. He's making me something new. If you keep pointing to the old me, all I can say is I agree with you. That was shameful and bad. But God is making me something new. You could join me. Or you can keep making fun of the old me. That's fine. I'm not worried about you. I'm a new creation. You can barely even see me because you don't got spiritual eyes. But I'm going to church where they do see me. The Father is reconciling us to him in Christ. And he says he's giving us a ministry of reconciliation, which means three things. The first thing is, in Christ, he reconciles the world. In Christ, he brings the world to himself. The second thing it means is forgiveness of sin. You can't approach God if you got sin in you. God is so pure, so holy, so just, that if sin came around him, it will instantly die. So for us to even approach him, we would have to be forgiven. And then the third thing about it is he's entrusted us with a message of reconciliation. He gave it to us. The image I want to create for you guys is reconciling with an angry God. Because God is angry against sin. It says he's angry with the wicked every day. And we all were wicked. So he was angry with us. And imagine God is this huge person with a ball of fire surrounding him. And we cannot approach him because of our sin. But in Jesus Christ, he takes away those sins so that we can approach him. He makes peace. And the fire that used to be something that we feared now becomes something that protects us. 
You see, when God first made man, he made him in the garden. He used to go on a walk with Adam every day. But one day Adam sinned. And one of the biggest signs that he sinned was he missed his time to walk with God. When God said, Adam, where are you? It's time to go for a walk. Adam had hidden from his God. In fact, it was the first breaking of a friendship that we ever saw. God always sought to be friends with men. Not because he needed it, but because we needed it. And so because of that broken relationship between God and man, God has always sought to bring man back to himself. And so he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. That the penalty, the things that held us back, the things that made us hide from God in the garden will be taken away. Now we can all walk with our God. So he says, because of that, we are ambassadors. God makes his appeal through us. People are saying, well, if God spoke to me right now, that's not how God works. God makes his appeal through me and you. And so Paul doesn't even take no seconds to explain that. He says, so now since I'm an ambassador, I implore you, be reconciled. Be reconciled to him. Come on back to the Lord. He said, for our sake, Jesus took our guilt and we took our, his righteousness. We were so poor, we couldn't even afford to eat. And we stole food. They caught us. They said, look at this poor orphan, this poor beggar. He can't even afford to eat. We about to throw him in jail. And God came up and said, I'll pay for it. Not only will I pay for it, I will adopt him. Not only will I adopt him, I'm going to give him new clothes. Not only will I give him new clothes, I'm going to put him in school. Not only will I put him in school, I'm going to give him inheritance. I'm going to remake his body. I'm going to give him a purpose. I'm going to give him some gifts. How can we hear all that and not be thankful to our God? I just want to give another combination of scriptures. It says, to our Lord belong mercy and forgiveness, for we are rebelled against him. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The Lord says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. For while we were enemies with God, he forgave us how much more. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come in the judgment, but has passed from death to life. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Whoever believes in him will, may have eternal life, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So then he ends, look in chapter 6. He says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorite time I listen to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, this is a passage you got to put into practice. 
You got to put it into practice by asking yourself, how does God view what I'm doing? And then ask God. You got to let the fear of Christ be your motivation. Remember, you got to face your God. You got to let the love of Christ control you and not what other people think. You got to pray that God gives you discernment so you can see with spiritual eyes. You got to be reconciled to God. That means making peace with the things you did wrong and asking for forgiveness. You need to praise and boast in God's people and God's testimony, even if it's not your testimony. You need to be an ambassador of reconciliation. And you need to ask yourself, do you fear death? And if you do, ask for more faith. I want to give encouragement this morning. We have a building to replace our tent. Sister Bonnie is not just a disembodied spirit. She's in her heavenly home. I want to encourage you that God is preparing us for eternity. So be of good courage. I want to encourage you to stand up against appearance-only saints. I want to encourage you to regard no one according to the flesh. And I want you to be honored that you've been entrusted with a message of reconciliation. I want you to think about Jesus in this passage. Jesus as the judge that we must face when we die. Jesus died, so we die, so we should stop living a selfish life. Jesus is the creator, and in him we are a new creation. And finally, Jesus reconciled us by dying on the cross for our sins, so that he that knew no sin became sin for us, that we will become the righteousness of God. I want you to beware the world's thinking. This passage attacks a lot of the world's thinking. One of the things it attacks is the terror of death or hopelessness. One of the saddest things I do when I come to a funeral is see some people just fall out. Why do they fall out? Because they're hopeless. Why are they hopeless? Because they don't know our God. You don't have to be like that. You don't have to be paralyzed by death. And some people are not paralyzed by their death. They're paralyzed by other people's death. They don't want they let their kids play football. They don't want they let their kids do this, this, that, because they're afraid their kids are going to die. You can't protect your kids. You can't save your kids. You can entrust them to God. And God has a purpose for every soul. Beware drifting life away, ignoring the final judgment. I'm amazed by how many times I go out somewhere and everybody got headphones on. What are they trying to do? Are I drown out? Are they trying to drown out their doubts about life? Are you pe people trying to drink away their doubts about life? Are people trying to get high to ignore the doubts about life? You will face your God. Beware letting evil stand or shrinking back in the face of the appearance-only people. Don't buy into it. Don't accept it. Somebody give you an appearance-only statement. Don't be one of them people. Everybody want a handshake. How you doing, brother? This and that. I'm not your brother. No, I'm going to do it out of kindness. But at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, why are we giving the appearance that we are all so close? When I got to worry about you when I put my wallet down. Stop. <laughs> Beware excessive attention to appearances. 
I know we all came to church and we combed our tent and we washed our tent before we brought it in, but don't forget it's just a tent. (laughs) And beware, the last two verses I read, thinking you still have time. Because that's not promised to you. Remember this final thought. This tent doesn't last forever. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths therein. Pray that you just bless us with your spirit, Lord, that we will follow your truths. We pray that you would just be a comfort to those who have suffered loss this week, Lord. We thank you for the faithfulness of the Dick family, Lord. And we pray, Lord, and pray for their comfort. But we pray, Lord, that all of us in here will be comforted by your word, by the truths therein. That by reality, not by false statements or nice sentiments that people send, that sometimes they don't even mean. But by the truth of your word. Your Holy Spirit is called the comforter because you comfort us with truth. You convict us of sin and righteousness. You tell us the truth so that we can truly be comforted. So that we can truly have joy. So I pray that you bless us, Lord, to follow your ways. In your name we pray. Amen.